We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Through all that is, all of the people and all of the places and all of the things, what is the common thread? Our starting place last week was the desert tradition. A band of stalwarts uh, left the corrupting influence of the Roman Empire because empire was having more impact on religion than religion was having on empire. So they went to the desert. And they went to the desert to rethink. They went to the desert to reimagine, to live in communities organized around the text we started with last week from John 1. I did this paraphrase, I read it last week. The most relevant uh, text in, or the most relevant verse in that text is John 1 9 that says, There is a light that enlightens every man and every woman and every child. That's how the New King James translates it. In my paraphrase, I said it this way Who knew divine light inhabits human flesh? But it did. And it does. The light that we saw in Jesus, we came to realize, is the light that's in every one of us. Notwithstanding Rome needing a religion to justify conquest, notwithstanding Augustine's later willingness to accommodate that need for Rome, we are, every one of us, made by God, made of whatever God is made of. The breath of God is what animates us. So, as Rome and Christianity were starting to get cozy in the second and third centuries, uh, as the common thread, the light within, every man, woman, and child was being shuttered, being denied as an organizing narrative, they left. They left to hold on to, and they left to remember for us that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light. They went to the desert to preserve the epicenter of our tradition that Jesus showed us to be human is to be carriers of the divine. What is the Greek word? Theotokos, bearers of God. Well, if you missed last week, the desert tradition is unfamiliar to a lot of people, but it is going to be central for what lies ahead of us as a religious tradition. If we want to reimagine religion for our time in this new emerging quantum worldview, if, you want, if we want a healthy religion that can overcome the toxicity that we have seen, the, the error into which we have fallen, we're going, to be, we're going to need to be familiar with the desert tradition. We also need to be familiar with the Eastern tradition. So today we're going to explore the common thread from that perspective from the wisdom of the East. About a thousand years ago, there was one Christian church, and it was headquartered in Rome. But in 1054, one church split and became two churches. It was known as the Great Schism. Here's what happened. Ostensibly, it was about geopolitics and war. Uh, the Normans 
were a people who lived in northern France. They had descended from Viking conquerors, and they had quickly Frenchified, but they were still known for their military prowess. And having gotten established there in northern France, by the 11th century, they were starting to feel itchy, and they were starting to feel expansionist. They wanted to go somewhere and take something from somebody. So you might have heard the date, 1066. It is 12 years after the Great Schism that we're going to talk about. The Normans, again, remember I said uh, itchy and expansionist, they went north. They went across the English Channel, they defeated England, and they established themselves as rulers over England. But in the years before 1066, in the years before the Norman Conquest, uh, the Normans had already been making moves on Italy, which, given that the Christian church was headquartered in Italy, that was making folks nervous. So the Roman church leaders called their friends, the churches to the east. And they said to the, ch to the churches in the Constantinople area, oh, did I miss that one? That's them going to Italy. Yeah. So they wrote to the folks in Constantinople, and they said, you've got to help us. You've got to raise an army, and you've got to come join us in this fight. We're all good Christians. You've got to come help us kill the Normans. That's what good Christians do. And the church leaders in the east thought about it for a while and then, not feeling particularly threatened themselves by the Normans because they're all the way up there on the other side of Europe, they weren't feeling it, so they didn't want to fight somebody else's fight. They didn't want to die for somebody else's cause. So in the nicest way possible, they said to the Roman churches, sorry guys, you're on your own, which made the western leaders angry, like drastic measure angry. So they kicked the eastern leaders out of the church. They excommunicated them, which in those days meant condemning them to eternal hell, which, as you can imagine, the Eastern folks didn't like, not one little bit, so they returned the favor and they said, no, 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 we excommunicate you, you go to hell. <laughs> it is our way to lose our way. Fortunately, it is also our way to find our way when we've lost it. But as things usually go, there's the thing. There's the Norman threat, there's the want, to want help for fighting the battle, there's the thing. But there's also usually a thing under the thing. In this case, below the surface was a really important thing. Two churches grappling with deeply different worldviews. Two fundamentally different approaches to living life and two fundamentally different approaches to spirituality. It's kind of a simplification to say it, but the Eastern churches advocated a spiritual journey of internal transformation, the Western churches focused on external behaviors. The Western church focused on believing the right way, praying the right words, and assenting to the right beliefs, whereas the Eastern church focused on experience, spiritual experience, awakening, internal discovery. The Western focus became right doctrine, correct dogma, the Eastern focus became seeing the unseeable divine, feeling the unfathomable divine. In the East, they organized the spiritual life around this word, theosis. Two roots to that word, theos, that's the God one, osis, which is the state of or the condition of. It's an important word in Eastern spirituality, the state of being one 
with the divine. The state of embodying, here's the term they would use, union with the divine. Now sometimes in English, when we're talking about this Eastern framing construct, we use this word, divinization, becoming divine, journeying into the state of divine union. So in the East, they built their spiritual lives on breaking down the ego, breaking down the false self to allow them access to the inner light that we all carry, to allow them access to the divine center self. In the West, mental ascent to right beliefs. In the East, wake up to what is already true deep inside of us, that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. So in the East, it was a journey of becoming, becoming the deepest reality we carry. Now, I mentioned last week, when we talk about working the circle, when we talk about rethinking our story, we draw heavily from the desert tradition, those early ancestors who taught us that we are carriers of the light. We are, every one of us, made out of the same stuff God is made out of. But we also draw heavily from the East, from Eastern spirituality. In the West, we shifted our core story. I mentioned that last week. The inner light is not in us, at least not anymore, because sin broke it. Consequently, because sin broke it, we need some powerful God work, God magic to change us, to rescue us. But in the East, they held on to our Genesis account, uh, what we've so often called our cosmological myth, that we are animated by the breath of God. And the breath of God is the same word as the Spirit of God. We are made alive because we carry the Spirit of God. And when we stop carrying the Spirit of God, we stop being alive. Consequently, if that's your framing construct, as it was in the East, you don't so much need this powerful God transformation to happen. More of what you need is to wake up to what already is. And that was the story that the East held on to us after we Westerners kicked them out. It was a spiritual life, a spiritual journey about experience. Experiencing our connectedness to, our union with the inner divine. Now, you heard a little bit last week that in the West, we rewrote our salvation story. We made salvation about believing the right doctrine to be made right with God. So, the Great Schism... Yes, it was about fighting the Normans, but it was more about two fundamentally different ways of being spiritual, two fundamentally way different ways of being human. I'm recording some videos right now for our children's and teenage team, talking about, in each one of these short videos, how do we talk about our religion? The team kind of knows that the way that we talk about God and the way we talk about the Bible, the way we talk about sin and salvation is different from the way a lot of churches talk about it, but the book is long, and so I wanted to give them a very accessible way, so a series of 10-minute videos. This is how we talk about this. This is how we talk about that. Well, I just recorded one, uh, how we talk about sin and salvation, which you probably recognize we don't very much. Uh, which can be puzzling to church folks because if you grew up in church, you know sin and salvation are two big, hairy things 
These are kind of epicenter things. You also, if you grew up in church, maybe learned that sin is bad, bad, bad. Sin will get you eternal torment after you die in hell. So we need a powerful and potent way to be saved from our horrible estate, it's often said. Well, that story, powerful sin needing a powerful antidote, became for a lot of Western Christians the story, the organizing principle behind almost everything we do. But it is not the story we tell our kids. And it's not the story we tell our adults either. We tell the story that was held on to in the desert last week, in the east today, and among the Quakers we'll look at next week. So a little bit of comparison and contrast between the two stories. In the West, for many, salvation came to mean sin broke the world. Adam and Eve, how could they? Sin totally broke the human condition. Sin was so bad that now the world is going to burn. And all the people are also going to burn. Except that God provided a solution for some. God sent his son to shed his blood to make a sacrifice on behalf, pay the penalty that had to be paid because God needed to be paid for the sins that were committed. So Jesus paid the price. And our job is to accept the free gift uh, given us by Jesus, this blood sacrifice gift, which we do by praying the prayer of acceptance, and then we do by believing. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ has become about believing on the right doctrines that we hold about Jesus, and then you will be saved from eternal torment in hell. So in the West, the sin and salvation story was a very external spiritual journey kind of experience. External sacrifice was made on our behalf by someone else. External power source, God, out there took care of all the mechanics. External authority figures in the church then tell us what to do now and how to do it. So then we go do it, we say the right prayer, we believe the right thing, and we are saved. And if you grew up in church, some iteration of that story probably familiar to you. But in the East, salvation was a very different affair. In the East, it wasn't a believe the right thing endeavor at all. It was an experiential endeavor, an opening the eyes of our hearts endeavor. We are saved when our souls, having been blinded, now see. We are saved when our souls, having lost sight of the deepest reality that we are carriers of the divine, when we see that once again. It's actually a very old story in our tradition. It actually predates the Great Schism by about 800 years. But in the East, they held on to that story for us. Here's the very old story part. The uh, 800 years before the Schism part. This is an image of the Patristic Fathers. That's not a term you really need to know, but there's a few names on it. If you read uh, ancient history, you might run into. There's Clement of Rome, there's Ignatius of Antioch, there's Irenaeus, there's Origen. Now, in the years right after Jesus, when the Patristic Fathers were doing their writing, they articulated a sin and salvation story that has been held on to in the East. 
And they did that story. They articulated that story of sin and salvation before Roman sensibilities became Christian sensibilities. And sure enough, their salvation story was also a waking up story. Waking up to the inner light that is already in us story. So when we, the West, kicked the Eastern churches out, they held on to that, the patristic father's story of sin and salvation. And they remembered it for us. They held on to it for us. So, yes, sin and salvation is a big, hairy deal, but not a blood sacrifice big, hairy deal. Waking up to what is, it's that kind of big deal. Now, maybe living in the West, we could be forgiven for uh, choosing the story we did because external religion feels very natural. Sin feels like it's really, really bad. If you hurt someone, and then you hurt someone again, and you feel the guilt inside, that feels bad. If you kill someone, or if you steal from someone, or if you exploit someone, or you see someone else stealing or killing or exploiting, or if you go to war to kill a whole tribe and to massacre their children, or to bomb them into oblivion, and then you get up and you do the whole thing again, sin feels really, really bad. And consequently, it feels like sin needs a really potent solution. And seeing, all credit to the East, Awakening to the interior light, that just doesn't feel that potent. That can't be enough. There must be more. Now, blood sacrifice, now that feels strong enough. Somebody dying for me, that feels strong. Waking up to the interior light that was all, always there, yeah, is that enough? But that was our story in the years right after Jesus. And it is the story that the churches in the East held on to us. Held on to for us. So, the light is in you. The light has always been in you. It's in you and it's in every other person that was breathed into being on this earth. You don't need this external transformation to happen to you. What you need is to wake up. What you need is to experience the interior nudging, the interior quiet whisper from within. What you need is theoria, waking up to the light. What you need is your own journey of divinization, your own union with the divine journey. That, the East would say, is your salvation. Now to help you, the East would also tell us, we have some practices that we, Common Thread, have made the contemplative practice one of the essential quadrants of working the circle. We owe that to the desert tradition. I said that last week. But we also owe it to the East. Eastern contemplative practice, hesychastic prayer, it's called, is a kind of combination of mindfulness meditation and chant. And the two of those together become a way to practice inner silence, a way to quiet the noise of our chattering minds that are going, going, going. We do that by breathing and by chanting and by gazing and by meditating because if we do, if we calm the noisiness of our constantly chattering brains, 
we put ourselves in a sp- ourselves in a space where people wake up people wake up to the light that is always in in us it's kind of an observable phenomenon that when people start doing centering prayer they start practicing mindfulness pretty soon they start stepping back from the world as they've seen it and they see it differently and one of the ways we see it differently is we start moving toward social justice meditating people often become social justice people and part of the reason behind that the dynamic behind why that happens is we start to realize I am a carrier of the indwelling divine when we meditate that's what the quieting of ourselves of our chattering brains does but once I see that I realize you also are a carrier of the indwelling divine and meditation helps us experience theosis it helps us experience divinization to experience we are saved by awakening by waking up when we see and when we touch and when we sense the interior divine salvation stops being about doctrine or belief or mental assent to an idea and it becomes a story of having been blind and now seeing a lot of people in the West are starting to realize right doctrines are not always right. And a religion built on right doctrines gets all crumbly when we start to realize those doctrines are not right. Or, put another way, we could say it if we were part of the East, don't bother with doctrine until after you've experienced the indwelling divine. And when that happens, kind of becomes a moot point anyway because when we experience the indwelling divine doctrine or dogma just get a whole lot less important because when we do experience the inner divine we always experience love and love is just not that impressed with right doctrine love is just not that impressed with needing to excommunicate the other people because they are clearly wrong so It has been said about our community, about Common Thread, that we, and by we they have meant me, don't talk very much about sin or don't talk enough about sin. But here's the funny thing, we talk about sin all the time. I think I probably mention it every Sunday. Whenever you hear me talk about the false self or some evolutionary brain adaptation or some story we tell ourselves about what good people do or what good people should do. Whenever you hear me talk about the shadow self or reverting to our Enneagram type or some inner drive for power and control or affirmation and esteem or security and safety, we're talking about sin. But it turns out sin is just another common thread. You never really had the option to not have an evolutionary brain that's what got you here so you do and so do I and so does every one of us it is a common thread that runs through all of us we didn't have the option to not have a shadow side consequently one of the things that we have done is just normalize looking at it normalize exploring it talking about it and for that we've had to say it's not that big a deal everybody has a shadow side Yes, it'll hurt you. Yes, it'll hurt the people you love. Sure. But it was just baked into the system when we woke up in the brains we did. So, from the perspective of the interior light, sin is not that big a deal. 
because there's a much, much bigger deal. It has also been said that we, by which we mean me, don't talk very much about salvation. You have probably heard the word more today than you've heard it in the previous six months. Uh, we do talk about salvation like we talk about sin. We talk about it a lot. Every time we talk about working the circle, every time we talk about undertaking the practices that help us wake up to the deeper that is within, the same light in us that was in Christ Jesus, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about the common thread that runs through all of us and awakening to it the interior light that is deeper than the aspects of shadow side that we all see in ourselves. So, deeper than false self is the interior light. The journey to salvation is awakening to what you and I already carry within ourselves. It becomes an inward journey of finding rather than an external journey of getting. And may we, in Dwelling Divine, wake up more today than we were awakened yesterday and be more awake to the interior light tomorrow than we are today, to the deep reality that we carry within, and may we live accordingly. Amen. Well, folks online, we are going to dismiss you in just a little bit. Um, before we do that, um, <coughs> what do we do next? What do we do next? We dismiss them? Isn't there something to say? Oh, no, we've already said the offering. We've thought about, oh, Zoom. Come on, the Zoom. Yeah, that's right. That's what we do. All right, here, folks. Uh, we're going to open up the floor, and we're going to do what are you thinking? I'm kind of curious what people say because, you know, this sounds like flat-out heresy if you're paying attention. But uh, we are going to, uh, we're going to have this discussion in the room, and we would like to invite you to have a discussion as well. But we do that on Zoom, and the way to do that is you go to the notes in the YouTube uh, link where we're live streaming, or you can go to our website if you lose it, and uh, click the link. When you get there, you're going to be asked for a password. Here's the password. You ready? 1417. 1417. All right, let's prepare to dismiss the folks online. If you would, please put your hand on your heart, and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. That means love and joy and peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit is within us. And if you would extend your other hand to our city, let's look for opportunities this week to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all online. You are dismissed those in the room. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.